Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hello again, it's Hugh Ballou. This is the Nonprofit Exchange where we interview thought leaders and take advantage of their wisdom in their area of expertise. And even though over the last seven years, we've interviewed people with similar background and similar professions, we learn new things because everybody has their unique body of knowledge and experience. And so our guest today is certainly one of those people. And we met through another person, but I know enough about her that she's really on point and will help us think about how do we go from where we are to reach the potential that we could? None of this next step stuff, none of this next step stuff. It's let's just go to our potential in a very one step sequenced way. I think I'm not revealing too much, but but Jennifer Catrulia, is that how you say your name? That's you, right. are, you are the guest on the nonprofit exchange today. So you're going to talk about how to grow our nonprofits. But before we go there, I'm sure people would like to know a little bit about who you are and what your background is and why you're doing this kind of work. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yes, Jennifer Catrulia. I am a partner at uh, Citrin Cooperman, a top 25 CPA firm in, in the country. And, you know, I, my background is in originally audit, actually helping largely on the nonprofit side with, with the traditional annual audits and, and checkups um, of organizations. Uh, but really, I also come from a very entrepreneurial family background and a family that was big in, in volunteering, both, uh, of course, to give. And we've always been such um, recipients of, of the companionship and the the gifts of, of being part of a giving community. And so, um, and certainly our churches as, as well. I, I love um, being now in my career and for the last 16 years on helping um, with operational challenges, helping scale companies and nonprofit organizations, uh, really looking at all of the ways that businesses and nonprofits need to function to, to maximize success. And, and of course, in times like right now, survive and, and move forward. Um, and I, you know, I really just love the opportunity to work with, with organizations and people who are doing so much for, for others. I feel like if you can remove the roadblocks, the ripple effect uh, is, is so important. And so it's an honor to be a part of that. Well, I'm sure you're an honor to your company. Um, I think many times nonprofits don't realize that their companies like yours. How do you say the company name again? Citrin Cooperman. Okay. And, and there's a link on the interview page that you can find out more about her company that she's a partner in. And um, I think we just need to have more conversations with businesses like yours who are interested in bringing value to everyone. It's not simply about making money. It's about bringing value to people. And I do have very cherished relationships. I use small accounting firms and everywhere I've lived. And I, those are very important relationships for me. So let's talk about the, this, this world of functioning. Now, we think, <laughs> I'm going to say we, I have this nonprofit called Center Vision, and anything I say about the sector also applies to me. So I just want to be clear, and I'm not without fault. <laughs> it's a, we, we, we have blind spots as leaders. So we need people like you to help reveal those blind spots, because we got 
we got this big idea of how we can help people and it takes a lot of juice that maybe we don't have. We've got the vision. So we think because we have this nonprofit title that money's gonna come our way and people are gonna volunteer and they're gonna help us. But there's a, there's a piece, a systems piece that we need to understand to be able to function. So there's a lot of dysfunction in our, our systems. So why do you think that is? I said to you before we started, the word nonprofit is probably negative inspiration, but what are the reasons that nonprofits struggle with the, the systems that we need to know? You know, I think largely it's because a nonprofit can decide to function differently than a business. Somehow, even in its own mind, that word nonprofit um, and the want to include members of the, the community and volunteers and, and all of the things that are actually such a part of the thread of a nonprofit can cause a, a gap between um, that that philosophy and that culture and actually working as a business. Because the reality is that for, for nonprofits, everyone's competing for contributor donor dollars, everyone's competing for time, um, and, and you're needing to adopt best practices for each of the functional areas of a nonprofit in, in very much the same way as a business. And anytime you depart from that, you're at a, at a disadvantage. We are, um, we're a non-stock C corporation and we have no stock and our board members don't get paid. They actually contribute to, to, to be an effective board. They contribute time, talent, and money as true philanthropy is. So it's, it's, uh, is it a mindset? In many respects, it's a mindset and it, it um, well, yes, I'd say the majority of it is a mindset, which then results in, in not having the, the resources and structure in, in place, but that it begins with the mindset for sure. It does. So part of what we help leaders with is the leadership piece. You know, we have to identify what our skills are. And I don't like strengths and weaknesses. I like skills and gaps. And I don't do something very well. It doesn't make me weak, but I know that I need somebody to fill that gap. So you do a lot of um, review work, shall we say. You mentioned audits and a lot of things. You do a lot of review work for nonprofits and without revealing any secrets, of course, are there some common things that you wish nonprofits knew how to do better with accounting, with leadership, with other functions? What are some of the things you would hope that they would learn to do better? Um, you know, I think it's the first is look at each area at top level, assess the nonprofit like a business um, and make sure that uh, with the mix of, of talent, that there is the expertise in place, whether it is sales and marketing or human resource or um, technology, that um, much like a, a company, there's a return on investment of effort and resources every day. And what I see are nonprofits who um, don't, first of all, fully understand in some cases the financial statements and, and the story those tell, um, either at the, the management level or at the, the board level. Um, but also then um, not leveraging the right amount of expertise in each area to um, move the organization forward. And um, then a lot of time and money can actually be wasted um, chasing uh, either disconnected or underperforming contributions to the efforts of the organization and, and they just aren't able to meet their goals um, and they, they fall behind and, and struggle. Very succinctly put, there's just a lot of factors I think of. So not understanding the financials, that kind of jumped out at me. So we, we have a treasurer who's supposed to present those and, and then in a way the board can understand them and vote 
to accept them. And I don't find very many boards know what questions to ask or very many treasurers and some just may be bookkeepers, some may be accountants, some may be other disciplines, but what skill set does a treasurer need to be able to properly present the financials so the board can can know where we are and how to how to function in a different way because of those financials? The treasurer really should have experience, whether it's as a, um, a higher level controller or CFO, um, first of all, looking at the financials and making sure they actually do make sense rather than taking for granted because they received them from a bookkeeper or the accounting firm or whoever, first really feeling that they do represent the organization accurately and challenging any questions um, that they may have before getting to that board meeting. And then the second is really being able to present the financials in a way first that educates everyone else who may not be accounting professionals in the group, um, creating ideally a summary or flash report about what is important about those financials in a non-biased way. Um, and then um, helping to talk about how those are important today in the organization and what that may mean for the, the weeks and months ahead as far as planning to go forward. Um, and I think that's so critical because being able to do that in a very black and white way and in a very um, accounting metrics and goal-driven way um, can help give important information before, before frankly, politics and, and other things can get involved, which, which often um, can take the attention away from just what the numbers tell. Numbers tell a story if you know how to listen and how to, how to, how to tell the story. Um, so we, we get distracted from this and, and I find that, that some nonprofits even wanna go away from thinking in business terms when really that's what gives us financial security and financial strength to impact people's lives. So, so what would you say to people that say, oh, thinking about business doesn't apply to me? I think that's become such a conversation, especially over this past year, but it's true anytime. Um, uh, you know, whether it's thinking about the payroll protection program or the, the stimulus packages over the course of the last year, there are a lot of um, conversations that said, well, we, you know, we aren't going to take this financing or we're going to take a certain approach to um, how we are going to see our way through COVID because we're not like every other business or every other organization. And in some ways, um, I've seen that potentially uh, put organization in harm's way because they they um, had opinions that that stood in the way of of now what might be needed for cash survival. Um, I think other departures would be as far as again how you are going to reach and retain um, multiple forms of, of revenue inflow you know whether it's donors and events and and other things that are important of the lifeline of the organization um, rather than follow the model any for-profit business would need to follow to make sure that those are shored up and that revenue is still coming in. Um, the, the moments of saying, well, we're going to be different and we're going to find a different path through. Um, again, the others who are competing for dollars and who are competing for resources and talent, frankly, um, if they are following a path first that gets them those resources, then being creative can, can unfortunately lead to missing out. I was on a, um, on a webinar for um, some nonprofit leaders in another country recently. And one of the other presenters represented a well-known foundation from a food company and was in charge of, of managing the, the donations to this country. And he said, you know, we have money. Most of the foundations have money mm -hmm. and we wanna give it to people who are doing a good job. 
we're not going to give it to organizations that are marginal or need rescuing. And that stood out to me as being very important. So it occurs to me that having really good, solid uh, financials is, is probably uh, going to inspire somebody who's, somebody has money, probably got a good, a good business head is going to look at your business model and then they're comfortable giving you money. So talk about how the, the financials, of course, they're as in your 990s public information, all of your numbers are public information anyway. So we need to have something that represents proper management, good stewardship of the dollars. So talk about the, the synergy between having good financials and what should people be looking for in order to attract the right donors? So first of all, I, I think it's natural to want to contribute time, effort, money um, into something that looks like it has longevity. Um, so if something looks like it is profitable, is successful, is well-managed, it just spreads that sense of confidence that this organization has its act together and is going to be a good um, steward of my money and my time and my investment and carry this forward in the right way and contribute the maximum possible amount to the actual mission um, versus having any waste in administration or other areas um, of the, the organization. And I think, you know, everybody, because there um, is such a personal attachment to the places that you you um, involve yourself, um, you want to be proud of, of how that's run and feel like that represents your values and standards as well. So, um, you know, that polished look uh, is so much more important than simply the organization being run. It is also a sales piece, frankly, as far as, as getting and retaining that, that loyalty. Um, and, and then the reality is um, actually being able to execute on that um, and, and the organization being able to sustain and be long performing um, is, is a, back to the, the, the statement before, the financials tell the picture, it is the scorecard. And so it's as much both an actual reflection of, of how you're performing as, as being used as a sale tool to attack, attract more of that going forward. Well, it shows that you're, you're being good stewards of their money. Yes. Now talk about overhead. Um, there's, there's a myth about overhead. And let's just use uh, our foundation, Center Vision, as an example. Um, I think I share with you, this is my volunteer work. So there's, there's not a salary for me. I donate like everybody else does, uh, money and time and talent, and way more <laughs> than I should. But it, you know, it's a passion for me to help other people. So we could say, and, and we have no cost of goods sold. It's just web delivery and you know those things. So we could say that 100% of our money goes to overhead. We could say 0% goes to overhead because all the money goes to benefit education and nonprofits. So how do how does somebody like you, and I know on QuickBooks there's different terms for what we'd say in business, an income statement or our balance sheet. There's a statement of financial position. I don't know what they call it, but they have different names for it. Do they look different? And how do we talk about this thing overhead? And certainly we don't want to be paying fat salaries and for big cars when we're donors. So how do we, how do we talk about overhead and represent it in a fair and accurate way? Uh, sure. I mean, there is different terminology um, for certainly a nonprofit versus a for-profit, but the financials themselves, um, 
you know, function the same way as a for-profit company. And I always like to paint it that way. Honestly, you, you mentioned QuickBooks, you know, they took the same software and saved it five times as different industry labels, um, but they didn't change the technology behind it. You know, the nonprofit version was the same as the construction version and every other one with some different report names. So, um, so, and I think that is really important actually, because, you know, cost of goods sold uh, and I'll align, you know, direct costs in general with events and with um, internal programs and things like that, where you can align, I spent X dollars on X mission or X effort. Um, and then you'll have revenue and costs you can associate. Um, other things where there may be a cost like web meeting software or other things that you may use for multiple purposes, rent that you pay, a number of different things that um, the organization may spend, but you can't really align to any one thing and it's, it's broader reaching or uh, salaries for, for team members who um, are part of the organization and not volunteer. Um, certainly overhead for um, a wide range of things, utilities, et cetera. So, but overhead is anything that just gets you through running the organization that is part of the expenses of, of office supplies, et cetera. So anything again, that doesn't have a direct relationship to the money you brought in that you can't tag that way um, becomes overhead. But and I will take it a step further and say that there is fixed overhead, something that you're bound to month after month, like a rent, a lease agreement or something like that versus variable. Um, and that's really important because um, as things change and as the, an organization needs to maybe pull back in certain areas, um, the more that you can focus on variable costs that can be adjusted over time versus fixed things you are bound to becomes really, really important. Those are, those are factors we use in um, doing a break-even analysis. Suppose we're doing an event and many times we do fundraising events that lose money. Right. <laughs> So, so doing a break-even analysis, you got your fixed cost and then your variable cost. If you have meals or something, that's a variable cost. The fixed cost would be facility. So what are the, the, the drivers, the important statements? I know um, I, I, um, I've, I've led organizations from inside. So I, I, I teach from external. I worked for mega churches for 40 years and did many systems. Um, and learn them there and learn what didn't work. So I, I can say I'm an expert because I know what doesn't work. I made all the mistakes at least once, but there's some useful reports that, that need to go. And um, I've been in organizations on the inside. So I actually have to use the tools that I teach people and then I fine tune them because you know we really need to pivot now in the way we lead nonprofits because we're never going back to what it was like before. It's a radical shift in what we need to do. And it's going to weed out some of those that aren't willing to step up. So what are the, the we, we do this income statement and, and the statement of financial position, this profit and loss thing, but are there some others? I know you can export a financial uh, cash flow analysis, which is like brake lights. What I find is a normal weakness if we get a, a lump sum, a large donation um, grant, we've got a specified program, but we get a large sum of money. We don't know how to do a cash flow forecast when is that going to run out? What's our burn rate? How do we then generate more revenue? And then, oops, it's gone. <laughs> so how do we look at those paradigms in a responsible financial planning way? 
Right. So um, I so certainly cash flow forecasting cash is the lifeblood of, of anything. So um, I, I think that that's as important as the long range budget, because uh, which I'll, I'll mention as a, a important document or important planning tool, um, having that ongoing 1824, ideally, you know, further out um, budget and plan for the organization is, is critical. And so, you know, we're in the uh, month of March at the time this is, is uh, being done. And so any organization that isn't running from a budget for the year and next couple of years at this point, now is a great time to shore that up. But that 13 week uh, rolling cash flow forecast is because even if the budget overall looks like things are going to be okay, um, any week or month that you've run out of money and aren't going to be able to cover payroll costs or rent or anything else, you are essentially out of business. And again, I'll use that in for-profit uh, terms, but, but there needs to be that plan in place. It drives as much some of those asks for funds that are outstanding um, if they are, and the plea and, and uh, you know, the emotional draw if needed on, on bringing money in in weeks where it's necessary to cover those obligations. I would also say that, and you mentioned, um, you know, mega organizations, but um, the, and I'll put this in QuickBooks terminology, but it translates elsewhere, the by class or by division or by area reporting um, grants, that's very common to look at where money came in versus how it was spent. And that's often required, but other key areas of the organization, making sure that you are looking at the money that's come in, how it is being spent and looking for leaks. You know, where did we overspend? Where can we pull back? So that that's not being hidden or buried in the financials as a whole. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there's a summary presentation that the board doesn't see those. And, and I want to highlight to people who already know this, the board has financial responsibility for the organization. Yeah. So it's, 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 and it's, if you're the leader, it's really important that you present them accurate information because there's a liability piece. So they can assess your financial position. Actually, if you're leading it and you're embarrassed about something you did, you need to tell them so they can help. Because I think we're too bashful about that, right? Especially when it comes to boards, you know, there's this this odd relationship where you rely, you are meant to rely so heavily on them, and yet there's this feeling that you have to make sure what goes to the board is is only best in show. That's that's a key point. That's soundbite. We we highlight. We'll do, we'll do a transcript. We need to highlight that. We, it, we're not just doing a show part of show and tell. It's it's really it's a relationship that's a trusted relationship, and and it. The, for, for better or worse, we're married, you know, we're for better or worse, we need to look at all the facts. And like, like you say, the numbers are there, they're, they're black and white, and they're there. But if we're not accurately uh, categorizing them, and I've, I've read financials in organizations that I've led, I said, that doesn't make sense. So in programs like QuickBooks, you can click and get down to what's underneath that number, where it was posted, and what it, was it accurately assigned. And so I think a lot of that is, is, not intended to be cover up it's just lack of knowledge or people get in a hurry so how do you have safeguards i um i've worked in organizations where we have a a paid bookkeeper who's not part of the board and the bookkeeper is paid hourly to be the bean counter right. and then we've had a volunteer treasurer who usually is a cpa or somebody a, a finance a banker somebody knows how to read financials and then we have a separate CPA firm that does the tax returns. So that's been the way of having accountability with different people and then making sure the board understands the financials. So um, what's what do you recommend that people ask a, a pros prospective board member 
that could be a treasurer. Or, and and I'm listening, I was going to safeguards. Are there other safeguards we need in our financials? And then a follow-up question is, what are questions we need to ask a person before we put them on the board as the treasurer? So I think, uh, you know, for sure, accounting background is important. And I think accounting background, depending on the size of the organization and, and technology, et cetera, but um, where it, there are accounting positions that can be a piece of a larger company, but not necessarily looking at the financials of a company at all, as a whole. So finding a treasurer who is used to getting a set of a balance sheet, uh, a statement of financial position, et cetera, um, and looking at and reviewing them line by line is critical. Someone who is used to looking at a general ledger for a, a set of financials and, and the codings, because at the end of the day, it's data in, data out, meaning that however that bookkeeper entered things, if they were put in the right category, um, then at least you know for the most part, that is going to give you the financial information you need. It then gets layered with things like depreciation and, and other monthly um, entries that are not cash basis necessarily, but uh, someone who is used to reviewing those numbers and has a process for doing so, and also will make sure that the organization is closing the books on schedule and getting all of the missing pieces in place, because oftentimes financials will be produced and shared with the board that are missing things. And so they're misleading because there is information omitted and they're just not complete. So someone who, again, has all of the knowledge in place to make sure they are complete, they are accurate, they are being delivered. And I'm really an advocate for, again, teaching even a, a board how to go through a basic general ledger because even if you know nothing about accounting the accounts listed are fairly transparent if this is donor section if this is utilities if this is you shouldn't see anything in that section that isn't appropriately categorized and so um but at the treasurer level that that skill set is very important and i think um at the board meetings one of the most important things is just dedicating the time to talk about the financials because that is when eyes around the table will be on them and everyone who just has a sense of how the organization is supposed to run. Um, if you're looking at analytics of month over month compared to last year, year to date, so this month over a year, you're gonna notice if, if a box is empty <laughs> or if it just, if the number stands out as not being correct. Um, and then assuming they, it does all look right, what story does that tell? And so working with a treasurer who is um, experienced creating a flash report, again, kind of summarizing everything for everyone, the more thought you've had to give to those financials and the storytelling, the more it will usually show if something's not making sense. Well, thank you for flowing with my questions. I haven't asked any of the questions you gave me to ask. Okay. And I've put you on the spot with these. So you really know your stuff as, as I'm sure you, you would. So I felt very comfortable. Uh, so talk about the timing. You, um, so thank you for that. The thank timing, you. you mentioned a 13 week cash flow. Uh, we work in 13 week because that's a full quarter. You know, 90 days is 13 weeks. Actually, one time I had a, a business with a Kodak dealership. They didn't do accounting by month. They did it by 13 periods in a year. It was four weeks even. Uh, George Eastman couldn't get the government to go along with that. It was great that he didn't. Yes. <laughs> We're too set with the months. So I'm going to do a break here with a sponsor moment. But I want to ask you before that, um, the timing. And then we'll come back and talk about those leaks that you you mentioned. The timing. Um, so there's it's, it's important to have enough time to close the books for a month so that we can have all the, all the, all the data there. So then we can run information. And I like when I'm, I was chairman of the board, president of the board, to give the board a week, you know, here's your financials that we will review at the board meeting next week. 
So it was the second or third Monday of the month that we met or whatever. So we had time to close the books. And if you keep up with it, it's not a big deal in a smaller nonprofit. And then time to share them with the board and then time in the meeting for people to ask questions. And you could tell who really studied the budget of the financials because they would raise their hand and say, I want to ask about this item. So how does that timing work so that we can make a fair and accurate representation? The board has a chance to digest it and ask questions. Sure. Uh, you know, I think that, first of all, that one week timetable for everybody to take a look at it is, is very helpful. And for that reason, I strongly suggest some scheduling meetings for the third or fourth week of the month. Um, and that is because if you were to say, for example, that the fifth calendar day of the month after, uh, you know, the month has ended, um, is where the books are locked. That gives five days for everyone to gather any bills that were still outstanding, ask about revenue that should have come in, um, shore things up and make sure, again, all those missing credit cards are settled, et cetera. All of that information gets into the books. Um, and then it allows another, let's say five business days if you go to the 10th business day of the month um, for not only for the, the bookkeeper or accountant to finish the close, but then for someone back to the point of the treasurer reviewing it, asking questions, having a chance to sit back and look at the story they're telling to really get a set of books that are closed and a, a summary report to share with the board. It is an organized close. You can accelerate that, but we'll use that as an example um, versus um, trying to schedule that board meeting, you know, right in the first week of the month or even the second. Um, things are, you run the risk of being incomplete or you you run into situations where a board will even say, let's just use the financials from the month before <laughs> and we'll always be a rolling month behind. And it just, it, you know, it gets in the way of being able to get that whole story and really um, and have that complete conversation. So I, I certainly that can be tweaked a little bit, but that's a calendar we've really felt works well. Um, one more Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Uh, it's just a leadership prerogative to think about, we need a reasonable time frame so we can give you accurate information. And to that fact, we're looking at the financials three weeks or four weeks after the month closed. Now we uncover some information that it's too late to change the previous month and probably too late to change the current month. So we're 60 days behind in alerts. So when we come back, I wanna ask you about how do we create some sort of systems balance scorecard or some sort of metrics that we know because of the work we're doing as a, as a byproduct, we, we know ahead of the financial statement if we're doing well or not. So in sales, we have so many sales we gotta make and you know, all of that stuff. So I wanna talk about our sponsor. We have sponsors that help us do our work. And we publish a magazine called Nonprofit Performance. Here is our friend Frank Shankowitz, who uh, recently passed away, and he founded non, a nonprofit called Make a Wish Foundation. He was a motorcycle policeman. He didn't know about that. And this magazine is printed, we publish it as printed and mailed by a company called WordSprint, one of our sponsors. WordSprint has worked with nonprofit organizations for 20 years, 25 years, two and a half million mailings mailing print material to your donors. It's top of mind marketing. Your donors know how you've spent the money that they dedicated to your purpose. So if you're, if you're faithful and staying in touch with your donors, they're going to donate more because they know that you've used their money for its intended purpose and maybe even done more things than they expected. So that what Bill Gilmer and his team at WordSprint have determined is that donors will continue donating if you have the right message. 30% of this program is the right message. 
30% is the right person. Make sure that the right name of the person who's still living is on the, the mailing list and the right person, the right message and the right rhythm. You don't want to send them stuff every week, maybe not every month, but certainly three, four, five times a year, you want something in their hand that tells the story, the financial story, the impact on human lives story. And then when you come around to end of the year giving, whenever that is for you, you say it's time to, to re-up for next year, then they're more willing. So it's telling the story. 10% of that ratio is the parents. 30% the right message, 30% the right person, 30% a regular rhythm. It's building relationship with your supporters who've dedicated their time, their talent, and their money to the cause that you champion. So wordsprint.com, you can go and get an appointment. And even if you don't use their services, they'll be glad to share some of this wisdom with you. And it works. Every, every nonprofit they work with has giving that goes up and is very consistent because they've been accountable and they've shared information with their supporters. So Jennifer, we want to make sure we share the right story. So it's important the board know the right story. So I, I threw a thing out to you before we, we went to that message about how do we have some mechanics in our functioning so we have a good idea of whether we're making the grade or not when we see the financials before it's too late. Sure. Um, you know, and that comes back to you, especially now with available technology and being able to get uh, much more to reporting dashboards. Now, again, depending on the size of the organization resources, there's a cost benefit to how granular you get, but setting some basic metrics that are reported out weekly, certainly cash status. How are you tracking to cash flow for the month, especially based on when your receivable dates are, when you expected money to come in? Um, how are you tracking as far as expenses? One of the things that it can be very difficult to monitor is credit card expenditures throughout the month. Um, so really just that, um, that back to that 13 week cash flow, how are we actually tracking? Are things happening as anticipated? Has something come up that has thrown things off? Um, that's a very easy kind of weekly reporting out. Um, but also as you are planning any events or as you are having, you know, certainly right now there's been a big shift to digital and social selling and, and um, a, a virtual presence that maybe wasn't as um, significant for the organization before. Um, so if you're focused on web traffic, what are visits uh, each week? Um, how are things tracking toward, you know, um, the cost of acquisition of a new donor or of bringing in new money for the organization? So it really varies based on organization, um, size, structure, um, but setting up that initial scorecard and being able to report out those metrics weekly um, and measure against them and manage in real time, that, that's critical. And, and again, so much of that can be automated now. Um, I would like to, if you're listening to this in a podcast anytime in history or you're watching it on, on um, video, uh, The Nonprofit Exchange is the show, The T-H-E, nonprofitexchange.org.org takes you to the summary page. There's a bottom of that page. You can get all the history. And you look at this podcast, um, this interview, there will be a transcription in a couple of days and all these things she's talking about, all these sound bites will be there. So you can go and grab those notes. And um, so uh, Jennifer, we want to give people a website. So if, uh, where do people go to find all more about this organization that you so capably represent. Well, thank you. Very kind of you. So uh, the website is citrin, C-I-T-R-I-N, cooperman.com. Um, and certainly I, I love to connect with people on LinkedIn as well. Uh, so please feel free to reach out to me there. 
and um, her name is on the interview page. If you go to the interview page from the nonprofitexchange.org, that link for the website is on that page. So, so you can find out more, more about them. So how can nonprofits find the efficiency leaks? Let's talk more about the leaks that you mentioned earlier um, and improve their performance. It, it, we talked about the, the nuts and bolts of accounting, but generally speaking, what are some leaks that we need to look at? Uh, well, some of the big ones, and this is an area, by the way, that I'll insert, you know, I know organizations need to be so careful about um, how and when they spend their money. This is a moment where getting a couple of hours with an advisor and getting some outside help and objective help can be really, really important. Um, and there are a number of ways to accomplish that. But um, that is because a person who works with a range of organizations can sit down and walk through. We are we should look at um, the process of bringing in money. So your, your outreach process your campaigns, your, your donor efforts, your events, um, whatever again is appropriate for the organization historically and what is the market doing right now to bring in money? Because right now what worked over past years isn't going to work going forward. And we can see a lot of money wasted um, both researching new opportunities and spending money on things that just no longer work. Um, as far as technology, um, right now with, with uh, again, hybrid work models or work from home models, we can see a lot of technology money being wasted on applications that people signed up for trials and are running month over month, but nobody's really using or multiples of things, um, uh, cybersecurity or virus protection or things like that that aren't right for the organization and aren't working. And there's five of them um, that have been purchased over time. So um, somebody able to, to handle the cost assessment for the organization, but also human resource. Um, having volunteers um, is, is so critical and so important. Is the is the organization compliant? And also would that slight incremental spend on that area either save money in a number of other areas of, or the, of the organization or drive more income coming in? Um, a, a third would be technology. Are there ways to automate things? Could a different web presence increase either social attention or the ability to um, make it easier for donors to give you money um, and drive additional traffic to, to understanding your mission and, and, and being a supportive? Um, when you're looking at service delivery, so whatever it is you're giving to the community, could you be doing more? Are there web programs now? Um, I spoke with a number of churches and other organizations who were struggling to reach people they used to see in person, and they really found virtual ways to start to connect and in many times um, monetize that. So looking at individuals who can both help you assess cost reduction, cost management, but also business development and how to move things forward. Um, those skill sets are really important right now. And so methodically going through each area of the organization is the path to getting there. And now's a good time to, to revisit all of those, isn't it? It's, it's a really important time to do that, yes. We're, we're really finding out which meetings we, we could have had on Zoom all along. <laughs> yes, that's true. That is true. And I think that'll stay for a long time. I think we're becoming more efficient. And so out of every crisis, we can find some things that help us. Um, I'm uh, talking about, uh, I want to go to talk about the correlation in the strategy for a company, the development plan and how that fits with the budget but I'm gonna put into the chat here a minute for people watching and the people listening. What we teach in Center Vision is there's eight streams of income, donations, grants, sponsorships, plan giving, events. Um, our, our financial planner watching here says, 
this should be required listening for people. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fundraising professional. So I was on events in kind, saves you money, but you could get a part-time employee, you get space, you get food, printing, um, partner money. Um, you mentioned churches, churches and service clubs like Rotary give small amounts of money for a specific purpose. They don't do, they don't feed people or house people or do free clinics, but they support them. So, so they partner with organizations that deliver the services. That's not really a donation or a grant. It's a specific function. So I, I isolated as partner money and then earned income. In Centervision, people buy community, belong to our community. That's revenue that's mission-related. So IRS doesn't classify it as un, unrelated business income. So it's mission-related income. We have two team members that used to be revenue agents. So it's important to look at all of our money through the eyes of, you know, how, how are we good uh, in compliance with our, our guidelines as, as a tax exempt organization. So looking at those, does that pretty much uh, summarize what we ought to be having most or if not all of those is various streams of income. It's your fault. You mentioned various streams of income, so I went yeah. there. <laughs> uh, you know, I think as a list, that actually is, is um, first great that it's shared. Thank, thank you. And that's, that's impressive. This, uh, visit is impressed. Thank you. So I, I would say, again, because we're talking about getting back to basics and looking at the core, that list is a great set of eight to, to begin with. Again, depending on the organization, there may be some other things that crop up that would be important. Um, but this is a perfect place to start. And I think there's a lot to be done there. I, I would start through that list and again, go with a before and after. Because if this assessment has not been done for a while, it's likely that a number of those revenue sources and the path to getting them is outdated. Yes, yes. So the, the gentleman um, is one of our advisors. He's a CFRE with the Association of Fundraising Professionals and retired fundraising professional. And he would love to have had some, I'm sure, I don't know for sure, but more organizations would do this, whether he works with them or not. But a, a person like that, um, a person like that really needs good financials so they can feel adequate when they're making a presentation. So in our world, I'm a conductor. We get together with an orchestra choir. We got to have that score so everybody knows what to sing and when. So the correlation in a, in a, in a board is you got to have the strategic plan. It's an engagement tool. People know where we're going and how to quantify those results. Now the fundraising professional can do a funding plan based on those targets. These are going to cost us much money. We need to generate that revenue. So how does the financial reporting equip that person to go out with confidence and talk to, to donors? And then how much of that course, it's all public information. So if people want to know, how do we have that conversation with people about our financials? Well, having accurate financials, realizing again that they're public information once the tax returns are done, <laughs> um, shows that the organization, uh, back to our comments before, is polished, does have information that a donor can rely on. Um, but also, this now take carves out a section of the financials related to business development efforts, meaning that um, I'll take it a little bit of pivot on what you asked, but um, having sales or business development people or representation for the organization that is selling as a salesperson would in a for-profit company knows who they are targeting, knows what the reasonable spend is to get a donation in, because if you're spending exponentially more than what you are bringing in, that's not, not the path you want to be on. Um, um, but also in that, that presentation moment, 
um, building ideally that one raise opportunity, but also establishing relationships that are going to be repeat donors um, makes it important to have a sales deck, we'll say, you know, uh, being able to really represent the organization in a um, both a, as far as the, the mission or the, the purpose of the organization, but also why it financially makes sense compared to alternatives. Um, and again, back to that financial stability, something somebody can be proud to associate their name and reputation with um, and can feel confident that you are going to be good stewards of their money. Um, it all comes down to that moment you have to make an impression personally, but also again uh, for the organization. Um, and being able to track it both in pockets of how money is coming in in those eight areas um, and, and really subdivide that by mission. But um, all of that is, is now looking as you would at a sales department and their performance. And is it actually driving um, increased value scale of the organization or at least allowing it to, to run successfully? And that's a word nonprofits hate, which, but it's important, sales. You know, it's development of sales. So um, I'm going to let, I got a good comment from Jeffrey. May I, uh, Jeffrey, I'm going to open your mic to talk. Uh, you made a comment and, and Jennifer, you talked about audits early on. And so Jeffrey, as a, as a fundraising professional, you talked about audits and staying in touch. So you want to share that with, with our guest? Yeah, yeah, Jennifer and, and everybody who's listening. I, I, first of all, I just, I really appreciate everything that you're saying and I wish everyone would listen to this and understand how important it is and we were even just this morning talking about some of these aspects of these about positioning for success and making sure that <clears throat> everything is lined up well so that funders can look and have that level of confidence the the one thing that I put in the chat was about the relationship between the auditor and in in my case either the development person or the CEO of using them as a resource as opposed to a, a person who's doing the audit. I always have treated my audit people as advisors to the organization and would often communicate with them sometimes even more than our CPA uh, just because I knew they would be the ones that would be looking at this down the road. And I wanna know the answers now. I don't wanna know them when we're sitting in the audit and they start asking me questions about this, that, and the other thing. So I would always get their advice on, especially if we were making a major financial decision, I would call them and send them the information and say, what do you think about this and get their opinion on it. Or I would have the CPA and the auditor on, on a call together and a meeting together to look at things so that we were all on the same page before we would move forward with something. What do you think of that? Well, Jeff, and I didn't want to jump in. So, but Jeff, um, thank you very much and pleasure to meet you um, over, over the air here. I, I think, you know, first, yes, communicating with the auditor throughout the year is, is your opportunity to really leverage their expertise um, to help you before it is too late. That's actually part of what shifted me out of audit is in seeing what the after the fact information, um, I felt, wow, if I could have helped during the year, we could have made such a difference and, and really helped to move things forward or better protect the organization. Um, but I also think that um, 
leads to a discussion about, you know, in our firm, I am one of the, the leadership uh, individuals in our outsourcing division. And so as, as firms are thinking about, as organizations are thinking about how they get their work done throughout the year, uh, auditors are somewhat limited because of independence about how they can help you and how deeply they can help you. This is one of those times where again, back to the sources of revenue or the overall governance and, and strategy for the organization, you may think about how you leverage internal team members versus outsourcing opportunities and working with professionals who do you know, bookkeeping, accounting, closings um, as a, a complement to your audit firm, but who are seeing again, what's happening across different uh, organizations as well and can carry that expertise in. So I think, you know, uh, Jeffrey, your point, thank you very much, is, is so important. Your um, accountants advisors want to help you through the year and certainly budgeting for that. So there's no surprises, but planning for it and getting that expertise can make a, a huge difference. Yeah, I've been really blessed that uh, the, the organization board, I'm a board chair now and our treasurer is a retired CPA and his the firm that he owned and now has sold, that firm and their CPA also are under contract with us. So we have multiple relationships and the organizations that I've worked for, I think virtually every one of them. Our treasurer was a CPA and then we almost always had a CPA firm that was also doing things. So we had multiple layers and then of course a separate audit firm. So you had all these layers making sure that there were all these checks and balances and that so many people work on it. And I really appreciated how you mentioned that about having people having the right credentials looking at all of this. Well, you know what? It sure looks good when a funder sees that caliber of focus on financials and that people are, so many people are paying attention who are credentialed and, and generally CPAs. And it's, I just think it makes a big difference, especially with big funders who know to what to look for, as well as foundations, corporate sponsors that are dealing with this kind of stuff every day. And going back to what you said before, if they look at this nonprofit as an organization that is functioning as a business first and a nonprofit second, I think it bodes really well for them. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think everybody wants to be a part of, of an organization is well run and everybody, nobody wants to be part of something that makes the evening news for the wrong reasons. So. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Jeffrey, thank you so much. He's one of sure. uh, our advisors here in Center Vision and we have the best, of course. Thank you, Jeffrey. I'm going to send you back to your private world here. Um, so Jennifer, um, any more on that? Um, it occurs to me uh, more on that, but also why do we not want to talk about money? What's what's with that? Well, I think it's it's very much like our own personal money. It feels private. It feels uncomfortable um, at the organization level because you want to be very focused on the the mission of the organization and and um, giving the the nuts and bolts conversation about money um, somehow seems to cross over into an area where you're asking someone uh, you know a to disclose a little bit about their capability to give or their ability to give, but also um, their their willingness and and it, it gets personal. So I, I think it's it is and honestly um, many times for an organization the people put in the sales seat are not salespeople. <laughs> they they believe in the mission of, of the organization 
organization and so they're out fundraising, but they may not be um, professionally sales individuals. So I think it's um, really shifting the thought about, again, what is being done with that money um, and what the end goal is versus that feeling on either side that there's a, a hard push or a hard sell. So I think experience doing it, but also focusing on, on really what is the goal um, can help make that more comfortable. Absolutely. And I think having confidence and understanding of the financials gives the, uh, the, the whole leadership ability to speak not only with authority, but with confidence. Yes. So talk a little bit, we talked a little bit about technology, but um, what are, we're in a new era and there's some good things about technology and there's some other things. So how do we take advantage of the, the wealth of technology without overdoing it? Sure. So this is an area where, um, again, an assessment um, can be really helpful um, and necessary. First, core disaster protection. You know, organizations are all over the grid as far as um, everybody's still using, you know, some using tapes of old to make backups of data um, and keeping everything internal versus leveraging cloud security and hosting services and online solutions like a QuickBooks Online versus hosted or just um, getting a small amount of outside expertise to, to run through the technology setup. Uh, let's remove the, re the remote shift for a second, but just to make sure that the things I, I used to spend 20 something thousand dollars on a server for 11 people with backup tapes and all of these other things for something you can now pay $30 a month <laughs> and, and accomplish. But because there's this want um, to, you know, hold on to things that we're used to, sometimes we can be overspending to actually get um, protection that isn't adequate anymore and have a structure that isn't uh, protected against weather, storms, uh, power outages, doesn't offer us the ability to work from anywhere, which obviously became important. But also when we remember that there are unfortunately individuals working every day to compromise our data, to gain access to our systems, to hold things ransom, um, it is necessary to make sure that we are um, staying current enough that we are protected. So I would say um, making sure that we're looking at cybersecurity, data security, because we are um, not only having employees, but also volunteers work in office or remotely, what's happening to our data as we're gathering donor information, as we're gathering payment information, all of these things, is it actually being housed in a way that is compliant, safe, and stays with the organization is protected. Um, do we have situations where we are reaching people in their homes in a way that is secure? Because depending on how you're, you're sharing data or they, when they are logging into your website, what's the security of, of your website? So um, technology overall, just getting an assessment, that includes then your accounting software, your donor management software, your um, ways of, of collecting money. Um, all of those things with an assessment can be ways to save dollars and also get better results and stay safe. Wow. That's not not considering user error. <laughs> that's before, yes, that's before we even get there. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And um, sometimes we trust systems and then the systems go vazonk. So, you know, if you, if you got everything on your laptop and your laptop dies, you're pretty hard up. And, yes. and, you know, I don't know how many people I know store backups on the same place they have their main data. So that's a very profound point that we don't even think about until it's sometimes too late. Right, common, it's, it's still quite common and, and can be easily resolved actually. Well, we got just a couple more minutes here. This hour has just flown by. You've got so much really helpful data and I'm gonna send it out to my, my membership and tell them it's required. <laughs> required <laughs> watching, you. we'll see how many people do that. 
um, because I can't require anything. It's just a fallacy that we can, we think as a boss, we can tell people to do things, but they're going to get us if we do that. We want to inspire people to step up. And what you've done is inspired me to step up my own systems. You know, we're, none of us are exempt from, from looking at our own systems, our own skills and improving it. We just need to always be doing that. Um, so we're, we're hopefully going to come out to a post-COVID world. Um, and there's some new considerations that, that we need to think about. And I said to you earlier, I don't think we're ever going to have normal or new normal. We're going to need something, a radical shift to some new standard. What are some of the things uh, that people ought to consider in th rethinking leadership and systems going forward? Sure. I think, um, first of all, we need to realize that your community, as you've known it, when you step back outside, won't look the same. There is the likelihood that people will stay remote for some portion of the time and not go back full time to an office or not live in the same place. And so one of the things that's going to be important is a lot of your support system may have relocated. <laughs> and, and so you want to be thinking about the fact that we likely won't leave digital. It is going to be important to continue actually to expand and nurture this digital world and, and honestly use it as a disaster planning point so that this becomes an area of expertise that you can gravitate back to at any any time um, and still live in because it will be where there's so much attention going forward. I, I do think that as everybody ventures back out, looking at, you know, events have been such a large part of organization planning and funding for so long. How do you look at that in a way that remains certainly successful, but flexible? Um, and that keeps people safe because we may be in masks for a long time. I know that's geographic and, and may vary. So, um, but back to kind of that fixed expense versus variable, looking at keeping the organization very nimble and very agile for a long time is going to be important. And I think from a leadership standpoint, um, and this is true of the board, it's true of, of the organization leadership internally, is um, do you have now the right skill set and the right functions and the right work assignments? You mentioned before having a very, you know, working board. Is everybody not only willing, but do they have the expertise needed to contribute the skills um, that the organization is going to be going to need to be successful in this new normal? Um, and if not, where are they going to source it? Absolutely. Those are wise words. We just really need to be prepared for anything. I, my wife is clergy and works for the Methodist district. And uh, in, in the days that are pre-COVID, uh, we sometimes have snow. We get a Sunday that we're snowed out of church. Well, in the old days, we just didn't go to church. Now it didn't matter. We just we just did the, the virtual thing. So there's some ways that we've developed that are beneficial if we can then repurpose them. And of course, the having the, the the bookkeeping online and those things are such good advice. So I'm going to come back to you in just a second, ask you to give us a parting thought or a tip or a quote to leave people with. Uh, and I want you to go to nonprofit, the nonprofitexchange.org, click on the history, the archives, and then look at this transcript from today, because there's lots of very useful information and the link for Citrin Cooperman, you can go there and discover um, I'm sure there's there's many gifted people in an organization like Jennifer and many services they offer. I've looked at it, it's a very good website. And um, what you've shared with us today is required listening as, as Jeffrey Fulham said, it's required listening for, for, for leaders. So I wanna mention that Center Vision Leadership Foundation has a private community 
for nonprofit leaders and clergy. It's where you get low cost resources. You have workshops with people like Jennifer that teach you how to do things. We have online learning, self-paced self learning, and we have group, group mastermind sessions where we help each other and we learn from each other and we build better systems. So consider the community. It's, it's nonprofitleadership.online, nonprofitleadership.online. There's room for you. It's a place you didn't know existed with tons of resources that'll help you lead a, and create a better organization. Center Vision transforms leaders, transforming organizations, transforming lives. And Jennifer, I could probably say the same about you. You've uh, added a wealth of information to me and others today. What do you want to leave people with? You know, I, I would always say, again, whether it's an organ, a nonprofit or an organization, there's never a choice to stay the same. Something's either moving forward or it's, it's moving backward. And I think that, again, in this competitive environment, it calls on us to really be resourceful, be collaborative, and, and be aggressive of, about pursuing and, and welcoming change. And, and so I think however someone takes the next steps, it's important to keep moving. Thank you for being our guest today. It was priceless information. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.